Welcome to Scripture Uncovered, brought to you by Logos Bible Study and LogosBibleStudy.com. Now, time for the program. Here's your host, Dr. Bill Creasy. Hello, gang. Bill Creasy here, back from a short break, preparing for our upcoming teaching tour in the footsteps of St. Paul. Hey, in the meantime, I hope you enjoyed the two-part introduction to the book of Revelation that played on the podcast over the last two weeks. I've taught Revelation many times, but this time around, I think it was my best effort. The full course on Revelation is in the Logos online classroom at logosbiblestudy.com. And if you order it this week, you'll get a 30% discount with the customer code PATMOS2018. That's P-A-T-M-O-S 2018. PATMOS is the island in the Aegean where John writes Revelation, and we'll be there this week, standing in the very place where John had his extraordinary vision of the throne of God and of the end times. Like all the courses in the online classroom, I designed and taught each one to meet the standards for three units of university academic credit. And many Catholic dioceses around the nation may offer continuing education credit for those taking the courses. So make sure you check out the course catalog in the Logos online classroom at logosbiblestudy.com. We're adding new courses each academic quarter as I teach them. But let me get to this week's topic, in the footsteps of St. Paul. I'll be leaving tomorrow with 38 of my intrepid Logo students on a teaching tour of Greece, walking and sailing in the footsteps of St. Paul. Teaching tours to the Holy Land and the Mediterranean world are an integral part of the Logos experience. Because teaching scripture on site, where the stories actually happen, adds color, tone, and texture to the narratives. When you read the Bible today, sitting in your chair at home, you read it in black and white, black letters on a white page. But after traveling with me to the sites where these stories take place, you'll forever after read the Bible in technicolor. It really does change everything. Now, on this teaching tour to Greece, we'll be flying out of Los Angeles on a direct nonstop flight to Istanbul, Turkey. And from there, on to Thessaloniki, Greece. That's Thessalonica in Macedonian of St. Paul's Day. You might recall that Paul founded the church there on his second missionary journey, A.D. 50-52, and he later wrote 1st and 2nd Thessalonians to them. Now, we'll overnight in Thessaloniki, and in the morning we head east to Kavala, that's Neapolis of Paul's day, where St. Paul and company set foot on the continent of Europe for the very first time. It is a beautiful, small harbor town on the northern Aegean Sea, and we'll start our journey there. From Kavala, we'll travel about five miles north on the old Roman Via Ignatia to Philippi, a former Roman garrison town where St. Paul met Lydia and her friends who become St. Paul's first converts in Europe. It's a beautiful sight, 
right along the Zagatus River where Lydia and her friends were baptized. Now, if you've seen the Mississippi River or the Ohio River, the Zagatus is really more like a creek than a river. But some of our pilgrims may even renew their baptismal vows or be baptized for the first time right there in the river. Now, after exploring the really extensive Philippian archaeological site, including the jail where St. Paul and Silas were locked up, we'll head back to Thessaloniki, then to Berea, where scripture says the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians, for they searched the scriptures every day to see if what St. Paul said was true. Then we travel south to Delphi, a really stunning site, and we'll explore the famed Temple of Apollo and the Oracle of Delphi, and then move onward to Athens and Corinth. In Athens, we'll board a ship for a four-day Aegean cruise, visiting several islands, Mykonos, Santorini, and Crete, but most importantly, Patmos, where John wrote the book of Revelation, and then on to Ephesus, where St. Paul spent nearly the entire three years of his third missionary journey. It will be a fabulous tour. I cannot wait to go. Great biblical sites, excellent teaching, I hope, and really good food and wine. With great logo students from all around the country, those who attend my live classes, those from our online classroom, listeners on audible.com, and of course, listeners from our new Scripture Uncovered podcast. At each of the sites, I'll be teaching, and we'll post that on-site teaching in upcoming episodes of Scripture Uncovered. So stay tuned. In this podcast, though, I'd like to explore St. Paul himself by way of introducing our Footsteps of St. Paul teaching tour. Who was he? What was his background? And what drove him to become the apostle who evangelized all of Asia Minor, a good chunk of Europe, and write 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament? Christianity is most certainly rooted in Christ. But Christianity, as we know it today, would not exist without St. Paul. A few weeks ago, I gave a lecture in my live classes titled, St. Paul the Apostle the introductory lesson to a course I'm teaching on St. Paul's prison epistles. In it, I introduce St. Paul, and much of what I have to say about him might surprise you. I'd like to give you that lesson for free. It's a little long for a podcast, so when we finish here today, just go to scriptureuncovered.com for the full lesson. Now, I'd like to turn to your Bible questions. Every Friday evening from 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, I'm on Relevant Radio on the Joe Sakura Show, where Joe and I talk about the readings for the upcoming Sunday Mass, and we take calling questions about any topic on Scripture from our nationwide listening audience. Last week, a caller asked about Mark 7, 24 to 30, and its parallel in Matthew 15, 21 to 28. 
the story of the Canaanite woman who asks Jesus to heal her daughter. Here's the story, and I read from Mark. Jesus left that place in Galilee and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little girl was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And then he told her, for such a reply you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Now, Jews and Gentiles did not mix in Jesus' day. Indeed, the Mosaic law did not allow Jews to associate at all with Gentiles, lest the Jews be led into idolatry. The strict dietary laws of keeping kosher discouraged Jews from socializing with non-Jews. If you don't eat with people, you don't socialize with them. If you don't socialize with them, you don't date them. And if you don't date them, you don't intermarry with them. The Hebrew Scriptures strictly forbade intermarriage between Jews and Gentiles. Now, when St. Peter was brought to the home of Cornelius, the Roman centurion, in Acts 10, Cornelius invited Peter and his companions in. And Peter said, You know it is unlawful for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a Gentile. But Peter, having had the vision at Joppa of a sheep being lowered from heaven with clean and unclean animals in it, reconsidered and went in, thinking that the clean and unclean animals in the sheet may refer to clean and unclean food, or better and more profoundly, clean and unclean people, that is, Jews and Gentiles. After presenting the gospel to Cornelius and his family, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they were baptized, and they became the first Gentiles to become believers in what was an otherwise 100% Jewish church. That stunned Peter, and everyone else for that matter, because Peter went back to Jerusalem and he had some explaining to do. But that happened several years after Jesus' crucifixion, burial, and resurrection. Mark's Gospel is written sometime in the early to mid-60s, 30 years after Jesus' earthly ministry. The parallel story in Matthew, a few years after that. In the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus is very much a person of his time and place, a Jew living in first century Palestine, and the Synoptic Gospels reflect that. And that brings us to our story. Jesus travels from Galilee to Tyre, about 50 miles north into Gentile territory, and there he meets a woman whose daughter has an unclean spirit. Well, apparently, Jesus' reputation had preceded him, for the woman fell at his feet and begged Jesus to heal her daughter. 
Now, this is something we've seen Jesus do throughout Galilee, but we've not seen him do so with Gentiles. True, he heals the centurion's servant at Capernaum, but only at the behest of the synagogue leaders, and he doesn't do it directly, he does it from a distance. So, did Jesus have the same cultural attitudes toward Gentiles as every other Jew of his time and place, including Peter and the other apostles? I ask because when the woman begs Jesus to heal his daughter, he says, first, let the children eat all they want. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, in the Middle Eastern culture, both then and now, calling someone a dog is a gross insult, one that would get you a punch in the nose. So is Jesus blatantly insulting the woman? When we discussed this on the radio, we had a flood of calls, so many that we couldn't get to them all before going off the air. One caller, Pino R., followed the show with an email to me stating his understanding. And I have to admit, it was a very well thought out argument. Pino, if you're listening to the podcast, you get an A+, because you really got me thinking. Now, we don't know what Jesus actually said, or he was speaking in Aramaic, not the Greek of the New Testament. But we do know what Mark and Matthew report Jesus as saying. When Jesus refers to the woman as a dog, the usual word is kuon. We get the word cur from it. As when Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22, quotes the proverbial saying, a dog returns to its vomit. Now that's pretty disgusting and pretty negative. But Mark and Matthew have Jesus say the diminutive form of dog, kunarion. Now, it would be going too far to say that Jesus refers to the woman affectionately as a puppy, because the term itself has such negative connotations. Frankly, I've always seen Jesus' words as an insult, but I think I've been wrong about that, thanks to Pino's insightful comments. Jesus gave priority to the Jews in his public ministry. That's clear when he says, first let the children eat all they want. But Jesus certainly knew that the greater effect of his ministry would go well beyond the Jews to include the Gentiles, that is, all the rest of humanity. Jesus was intimately familiar with the prophet Isaiah, especially Isaiah's four suffering servant songs, the third of which in Isaiah 49 reads, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So with this context in mind, Jesus calling the woman a dog may well reflect the attitudes of his own time and culture. But by Mark and Matthew expressing Jesus' words in the diminutive form, it portrays Jesus as mitigating the term, perhaps teaching his disciples who are standing there with him, perhaps teaching them something by doing so. And when the woman 
perhaps in response to the diminutive form of dog, says, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs, she repeats his word, kunarion. Her insight, along with her humility and love for her daughter, moved Jesus' heart profoundly. And when she returns home, her daughter is healed. It's important to see this story in context. It's preceded in both Mark and Matthew by a discussion of clean and unclean things, eating with unwashed hands, cleaning cups and dishes, following traditions rather than God, and so on. In the first century Jewish mind, Gentiles are among the unclean things. In the story of the Canaanite woman, Jesus makes a large crack in the cultural wall that separates, isolates, and diminishes humanity. After Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, St. Peter will widen the crack with Cornelius and his family. The council at Jerusalem in AD 50, welcoming Gentiles into the church without having to observe the Mosaic law, will create a gaping hole. And St. Paul's mission as apostle to the Gentiles will demolish that wall altogether. In Galatians, written in the early to mid-50s, St. Paul writes, Through faith you are all, Jew and Gentile alike, children of God in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, you are all one in Christ Jesus, Jew and Gentile alike, male and female, slave and free. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So thank you for leading me down that trail, Pino. You know, one of the things I, I really love about teaching is my students, more than anything else, I think. And it's good to hear from someone like Pino. Keep thinking. You are an excellent student, my friend. Well, thank you for listening in this week, and I look forward to talking with you again next week. You've been listening to Scripture Uncovered with Dr. Bill Creasy, brought to you by Logos Bible Study and LogosBibleStudy.com. We hope you've enjoyed the show this week, and don't forget, go to ScriptureUncovered.com to submit your questions, and Dr. Creasy might answer them on air. That's ScriptureUncovered.com. Submit your questions, and also leave us a rating and review in iTunes or wherever else you're accessing the podcast. That's the best way to help us spread the word about Scripture Uncovered. Thanks for listening, and see you next week.